Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So, You can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now. Hello, America, and welcome to the Thursday edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News, where today, on many different fronts, there is a lot of cancel culture stuff going on in our country. It's pretty remarkable, actually. Uh, College campuses, uh, maybe the voting booth, uh, with some of these efforts to uh, take away voter ID. There's a lot of different things going on in the world today that we uh, might call cancel culture. It's pretty scary stuff. And we have a reporter that we've brought in full time now that we're we're really proud of, Greg Piper. He worked at the College Fix. He's on this beat. He is covering uh, cancel culture, discrimination, reverse discrimination uh, on all of the different fronts where it is occurring. And we're just giving you the facts. We let you make up your mind. We're not in the business of making up your mind for you. We want you to see what's going on. But there was a story today that really struck me. And part of the reason it struck me is that it involves a group that I've been familiar with for more than 20 years, Young America's Foundation. It was a conservative college campus group. It recently hired the former governor of Wisconsin, Scott Walker, former presidential candidate, uh, to be its new leader. And they are on an ambitious journey to expand YAF, a group that Ronald Reagan was so deeply involved with. It's been around since the Goldwater years. Ronald Reagan was a big advocate. Ron um, Robinson, built it in, a former Reagan advisor, built it into a powerhouse. Scott Walker is the new heir, the new leader of this effort. And he has put together a really ambitious plan to not only expand the fight against cancel culture, discrimination, reverse discrimination, division, segregation on college campuses, but also to take it to the middle school level, to take it to the faculty level, backing up faculty who are getting cancel cultured for things that are protected by free speech, for instance. A really important um, uh, big plan that's underway. It hasn't gotten the attention it deserves. So today, Governor Scott Walker of the great state of Wisconsin, the new head of the Young America's Foundation, is going to join us to give us a overview of his long game plan. That's what they're calling it, the long game. Uh, some really interesting ideas, helping school students all the way down to the grammar school and middle school level, uh, backing up faculty, bringing lawsuits against free speech and discrimination practices on campuses. So many uh, big things are going on. And uh, it was interesting because uh, he was scheduled for this. And last night, Greg Piper broke a really good story. In fact, his reporting reversed something on a college campus out in Nevada, the University of Nevada, Reno, pretty big school. 
they had to backtrack after their top housing official, their dorm official, their student life official, suggested that interracial living arrangements were prohibited in some of the dorms that are known as Living Learning Communities, LLCs, Living Learning Communities. This is a new movement on many college campuses where people who identify together by race, by gender, by other uh, socioeconomic or other attributes try to live together sort of in a segregated environment, sort of self-segregation. And it's a really significant movement. And in the case of the uh, University of Nevada, Reno, Young America's Foundation got a statement from Dean Kennedy, the Executive Director of Residential Life, Housing and Food Services. And he said that there were some of these identity-based LLCs, particularly those for African-Americans, Hispanic-Americans, that would not allow people who don't identify with the race, meaning they're not black, they're not Hispanic, uh, to participate. And the reason they were doing it, according to his email obtained by YAF, was that it was a safety issue. They were trying to protect the safety of students. Well, this seemed odd. How could imposing a race-only living quarters, living community, dorm, we used to call them dorms, I guess. Um, How can that improve safety? Is there something about two races mixing together that is unsafe? And so we asked questions and because of the good work of Greg Piper, our reporter on the front lines on this cancel culture movement, he's our full-time cancel culture reporter. They came back and said, no, 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 we, it's wrong. Our housing director misspoke. Now he's pretty clear. He's the chief guy, but they're saying he misspoke. We don't, uh, anyone of any race can attend any of our, uh, LLC identity centers. We're sorry. We got it wrong. But what would have happened if we hadn't made that inquiry? What would have happened if YAF didn't object and try to raise attention to this? It might've gone on. This self-segregation movement is cropping up in a lot of places. And again, it's not, Uh, Jim Crow segregation, but it is people of similar gender, similar uh, socioeconomic backgrounds, wanting to only associate with people that uh, come from the same experience, the same race, the same gender, the same um, ethnicity. And it does seem to be a dangerous movement to some of the people I talk to. People look at this and say, instead of becoming a larger community, universities are becoming micro-communities. A couple days ago, I think it was Columbia University, we had this on Just the News. They're going to have something like six graduations, not because of COVID, because they want to keep groups small, but because they want people to identify only with the people they want to identify with. So there might be a black graduation, a gay graduation. Uh, I don't know what all the different... Um, subgroups are going to do, but when was it that a university was one community, uni- unified, diverse in belief and race and gender, in ethnicity, but not afraid to say we are a university together. Remember the movie, We Are Marshall? Everyone was together there, black, white, female, men, uh, rural, urban. Today, it seems as though we're trying to create divisions and, and cliques and subgroups that I really worry are creating animosity and indifference to each other, if not isolation for each other. This is a movement we're going to chronicle very much in the uh, Just the News, not because we're trying to make up your mind for it, but because it is a surprising movement. It's different than what we've been seeing on college campuses for a long time. We're going to give you the facts, let you make up your own mind. We are having impact on these beats, uh, on many of these fronts. For instance, uh, like I said, University of Nevada, Reno, reversed itself, um, took back what their 
housing director said and said, no, we're not going to create a racial ban on these identity living communities. Anyone of any race or gender or identity can attend. We're not going to impose black only, Hispanic only, white only, whatever it is. Um, uh, we we're, we're, Whatever was said, we were wrong about it. Well, that's good. I'm glad, you know, God, we got the truth out. We got it fixed. We got it out. But these things are going on. And what if Justin News and other people don't go in and ask the questions and get the facts for you to make up your mind? What might have happened on that campus in the absence of that? We have another example. The Special Operations Command, that's the one that oversees our elite Navy SEALs and Army Rangers and Marine Special Operators and Air Force Special Forces. They hired a diversity chief, an inclusion chief. Now, on its face, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good idea. Diversity is good as long as it's merit-based. But this guy was anything but tolerant. He had all of these anti-Trump and anti-Ted Cruz screeds on Twitter. He was practicing the very anti-inclusion. He was brought into the Pentagon to practice according to his own tweets. And so what happened as a result of the Just the News focusing on this, bringing attention to it? He was reassigned until his investigation is completed. Impact. Someone took notice and said, I'm not sure this is the message we want sent by our new diversity and inclusion chief. So uh, news and facts can have impact. That's why we exist at Just the News, why we have the John Solomon Reports podcast, and why in a few minutes, we're going to be talking to Governor Scott Walker, the former governor of Wisconsin, the new head of the Young America's Foundation. He's got an ambitious plan called the long game to fight cancel culture, discrimination, segregation, isolation on America's college campuses, and now their lower schools high school, middle school, grammar school. Uh, Big interview. We'll be back in just a few seconds with our guest today, Governor Scott Walker of Wisconsin, the new head of the Young America's Foundation, right after these messages from our great advertisers and sponsors. History, economics, the great works of literature, the meaning of the U.S. Constitution. Did you study these things in school? Probably not. Or even if you did, like I did, maybe it's time for a refresher. Time and technology have changed a lot of things, but they have not changed basic fundamental truths about the world and our place in it as America. That's why I'm so excited that Hillsdale College is offering more than 40 free online courses in the most important and enduring subject. You can learn about the works of C.S. Lewis, the stories in the book of Genesis, the meaning of the U.S. Constitution, the rise and fall of the Roman Republic, or the history of the ancient Christian church with Hillsdale College's online courses, all available for free. That's right, you heard me, for free. You don't get anything free in the Biden economy today. I personally recommend you sign up for the American Citizenship and its decline. It's with my good friend, the great historian, Victor Davis Hanson. In this eight-lecture course, VDH, as I like to call him, explores the history of citizenship in the West and the threats it faces today. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations. The course is self-paced so that you can start whenever and wherever. So start your free course, American Citizenship and Its Decline, with my good friend, Victor Davis Hanson, today. How do you do that? Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash justnews to start. It's free, and it's easy to get started, and it's an easy URL to remember. All you got to do, go to hillsdale.edu slash justnews. One more time, hillsdale.edu slash justnews. 
All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, uh, someone who's made a lot of history already, and he's got a great new project going with Young America's Foundation, the former governor of Wisconsin, where I spent eight years of my life. Scott Walker's joining us. Governor Walker, good to have you with us. Hey, thank you for having me on. Really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. It's always good to hear someone from Wisconsin. I had uh, some of my fondest years there and met my wife. So I, uh, Wisconsin was very good to me. Always, always proud of it. Um, you, I look back at your career in the early recalls, all the things that were tested against your administration, the Walker administration in Wisconsin when you were governor, seemed to be the precursor to the current cancel culture movement and to H.R. 1, the, the federalization of these elections, uh, trying to erode the protections in elections for identity, identity theft, things like that. Tell me what you think about the bill that's working its way through Congress and how those who are concerned about it maybe can defeat it. Yeah, well, first off, you're absolutely right. The uh, well, I can relate to so many people, not only college students, but others. We were ultimately the cancel culture. I, I point out to folks that the Occupy movement did not start in Wall Street. It started on my street uh, in Madison, Wisconsin, many years ago. <laughs> and, and then when they couldn't win in, in the policymaking process, they ultimately tried to take us out literally through the recall. And, and of course, we won with more votes and a higher percentage of votes than we did the first time. But now when I look at it, and all this is about power. Uh, for them, it wasn't, you know, that really got the left and particularly the big government union bosses upset was that we were allowing public employees, amongst other things, uh, we were allowing them to choose whether they wanted to be in the union or not and not have automatic dues deductions right. for their paychecks. And so the left, it was, for them, it was all about the money. It was, you know, they would have given us just about anything in return if we just gave them that automatic deduction of the money. And that's what you see with the Crooked Politicians Act, which is what I call H.R. Uh, 1 and now the Senate Bill 1, which, by the way, should tell you everything you need to know about the difference between the right and the left. The first bill they introduced uh, in, in their new majority right. in both chambers is about power. It's not about getting kids back to school. It's not about uh, helping small businesses. It's all about power. In this case, taking the power, which I think most Americans believe rightfully should be in the local and the state government to run elections and pushing it all the way up to the federal government in Washington. That's something that I think, whether you're a conservative or not, you should be concerned about because putting more power in the hands of the few is ultimately what we see in places like Cuba and Venezuela. Promises of power to the people become power to the few and poverty, sadly, in those cases. So don't we shouldn't let that happen anywhere in the world, not, not the least of which is here in the United States. When you look at this, what's such an interesting dynamic in the rhetoric that the, uh, the Democrats are using to sell this bill and the way they're attacking what they did in Georgia. We use a photo ID to go get a six pack of beer. We use a photo ID to get on a plane. We use a photo ID to take our SAT test. Uh, at least uh, I'm pretty old. I can't remember if they had SAT tests when I was back in school. But, you know, they, they, the... Uh, the idea that somehow requiring an ID is racist, Jim Crow. Uh, Jimmy Carter was arguing for IDs and voting back in 2005 with the Bipartisan Commission with James Baker. How did we get to a point that asking for someone's identity became racist uh, when, when it's a part of everyday life? I'm curious, how do, we, how do conservatives counter that argument? Well, we got to keep pushing the facts, though, because the good news is this is one of those prime examples of where many in the media buy into the to the leftist talking points from the elite, uh, and and they don't talk to the to the real people, to the masses. 
And again, not just conservatives. You look poll after poll up there. I know this was true when I signed a photo ID requirement to vote in Wisconsin. It's right. still true today. And that is that not only do Republicans, but independents and even most Democrats, uh, voters, not politicians, believe it makes sense to require photo identification to vote, particularly when you do, and Georgia included this, just like I included it years ago when we did it in Wisconsin, we provide photo ID um, upon request. So if you don't have the money, you don't have a you know, driver's license, you can go to a DMV office in Wisconsin and in a lot of the states of the past this, and you can get uh, a state-issued identification card absolutely free. So there's, there's no monetary barrier although who doesn't have that? But, but just as an extra precaution, we included that. So it's just a bogus argument that most Americans don't buy into, that people can't present identification. The other irony is something they're proposing that I'm vehemently against, and that's these uh, vaccination passports. It's just ironic, though, that they're okay with you having a passport uh, that shows that you've had a vaccination with your picture on it, that you can use to go, that you have to use under their idea to go shop or travel or do anything else. That apparently is not racist, uh, but but uh, but but not having a photo ID is. It just makes no sense whatsoever. It it really is remarkable, and and there's there's even this hypocrisy, this double standard is crazy. One state expanded uh, uh, early voting by about nine days. Georgia expands it by two or three weeks and Georgia is called the racist state and the other state gets all the glory in the news media. How do you think real Americans are able to discern now that the storylines are getting from, you know, news institutions that they used to trust and they, you know, we brought into our home every night, the, the nightly newspaper, we trusted it. Do you think they can discern that they're getting sold a bill of goods after Russia collusion, after all the things that we've been through in the last five, six years? Um, how much do people pay attention to these storylines in the media and can conservatives counteract them? Well, I think people like you and I do, and there's plenty of good spots. There's great podcasts. There's talk radio. Uh, there's some, but not enough good news sources, uh, particularly on cable and online. But what I worry about more than anything is young people. Uh, young people are increasingly getting their money, or their information, I should say, from uh, unique sources, uh, overwhelmingly on social media. and if all they're hearing, you know, the left's plan with all of this, and it has been for decades, is to take over not only education and higher ed, but communications, Hollywood, media, and others. And to the extent that uh, the more they're able to do that, particularly with younger and younger minds, the more that, the, you know, the things that would allow someone like you or I to discern the bias in, in the traditional legacy media, the bias that we see in, in uh, certain professors and even uh, teachers in our society. If, you, if you're not exposed to that sort of critical thinking early on in life, it's going to be increasingly difficult. So that, that's part of the reason why we've got to turn things around. And one of the biggest reasons why I'm happy to know and honored to be the, the new president at Young America's Foundation. That is that's a, exactly what we're doing. Yeah, that is a big deal. And that's where I'd like to turn next. Uh, YAF has been around for a long time. YAF, it's been you know one of the true most important um, institutions at the uh, college level, particularly in, in young people's lives, to um, uh, give support to those who believe in conservative values. You're now in charge. You have this really great new announcement, the long game. Tell us what you're doing. How is this organization uh, 
changing the or uh, challenging the, the circumstances on college campuses and high school campuses? What are you doing to, in the long game that's going to make a big difference? Yeah, YF right now is the, uh, I like to say, simply put, we train the next generation of freedom fighters. And as you alluded to, it goes all the way back to William F. Buckley in the right. early 1960s. Ronald Reagan was one of the earliest leaders. This tremendous organization that people like Ron Robinson helped build. We're now supporting students, conservative students, in more than 2,000 campuses across the country. Started out in college. We now even go into high school. And, and all that's great. But when I came in, officially became the new president February 1st, I said, all we, we do is great. I don't want to fundamentally change what we do. I want to fundamentally change how many people we reach. And so instead of just 2,000 campuses, I want to reach students on every campus, which is more than 4,000. Uh, I want to add as part of the long game plan, which, by the way, if people want a copy, we'll send it to you absolutely free, yaf.org slash long game. It's a 12-point action plan. But some of the key points are a million more students in our programs, uh, being on every campus, 4,000 plus, taking things like YouTube, which is the way overwhelmingly our surveys and polling shows young people get their information on YouTube more right. than any other source. Well, we saw tremendous growth with our speaker series that we've had on campus, but didn't this last year by and large because of COVID, we put it up on our YouTube channel and we saw a dramatic increase because I think students, not only in college, but high school, even middle school students, want to see not only the speakers, they want to hear the, the questions that the radical leftists on campus love to ask our speakers and how they handle them because they want you know, some, some backing as to how they can handle it in their own lives. We want to have 5 million subscribers on that channel, YFTV, and a billion views uh, coming up in the future here because we know we've got to reach more young people and we've got to reach them sooner. So we talk about going in the junior high. We talk about even in some cases helping not just elementary school students, but their parents counter all the different things they're being taught to hate America. We want to counter that with materials and support for how to learn about our founders our founding principles, our Judeo-Christian values, and, and why they make so much sense. Because the left is uh, t trying to wipe all this out. They're trying to completely cancel uh, conservative thought and even just American and, and religious thought in our society. We've got to counter that over and over again, and that's what the long game's about. One of the things that really caught my attention because there have been a lot of attacks on faculty and, and people saying things that five years ago would have been perfectly allowed in the classroom. And now you see professors getting fired, suspended, reprimanded, silenced. Uh, you're creating a network for conservative professors and teachers sort of to give them um, a support and resources. And talk about how that's important. That's, that's a new mission, I think, for uh, YF. I don't think I've ever seen them do that absolutely. before. Absolutely, Yeah, absolutely. But it ties together. It's a, it's a logical extension, again, under this long game plan, because what we find is so students on campus are meant to feel alone. They're meant to be, the left tries to marginalize them, minimize their opinions, or just outright cancel them. I think the same thing is true with uh, conservative or even just objective educators, be they a college professor, a high school or junior high teacher. What we want to do is give them the support, create a network to understand, much like we're doing with students, how do you push back, get things pushed on you, how do you how are you respectful, but how do you push back and say, no, I just want to teach objective American history. I just want to teach fundamental economics. I, just, I want to teach these things. I don't want to be 
sucked into all these other wild radical ideas, which again, we say, I mean, we got a new story today coming out about how uh, we, we learned in, every day there's a new story out there, but about uh, a campus where the uh, director of student life said that the uh, resident advisors uh, couldn't have Easter egg hunts, for goodness sake. No. They couldn't publicize an Easter egg hunt because there might be someone who would be offended who wasn't celebrating Easter. Uh. I mean, what people don't get is our founders didn't, didn't talk about uh, uh, removing religion from our life. Well, all they wanted to make sure was that we didn't establish a state religion right. and that the right to practice our religious beliefs was protected under the Constitution, which it is. So my view in the contrast is I celebrate Easter. I celebrate Christmas. We have folks in our office, for example, who are one of our staff members, uh, Orthodox Jew. We acknowledge Passover. We acknowledge uh, the Festival of Lights and Hanukkah. If we had others who practice different faith traditions, we'd allow them to celebrate those as well. Sure. In our society, if you really want to be united, you don't cancel others out. You don't pretend like things don't happen. You respect others' beliefs while you allow your beliefs to be upheld. That's one of the things that's key to, to countering cancel culture. Wow. And just think about that. We've had an Easter egg roll at the White House for years. I think Joe Biden has one this coming Monday. So uh, who knows? Maybe that'll get canceled, too, in this crazy world we're in. The um, You talked about isolation, that one of the things that happened to students, and I was just talking to a college student just literally 10 minutes before this started, about what it feels like to be isolated if they have conservative values and everybody around them is impugning them, silencing them. Uh, how does YF, how does it uh, provide that support system? If you're if you're on a campus and all of a sudden you can't bring the speaker your group wanted in or uh, you went to class and you gave an answer and your teacher threatened to flunk you, how, uh, how is YF intervening and helping people on, on, in those circumstances? Because isolation is one of the most powerful tools that cancel culture people can use. 100%. And they're using it across the spectrum with all different ages as well. Again, this long game plan builds off the stuff we're doing, but makes it even more aggressive. It, I think in my generation, there was a movie called uh, This is Spinal Tap, where the the guy said, we don't just go up to 10, we've got 11. And that's what this is, turning it up to 11. But but for your question, it, it's in any number of ways. It's by recruiting more students, their strength in numbers to let people know they're not alone. Having more conferences. Uh, so, for example, even with the shutdowns for the first time ever this summer, our National Conservative Student Conference is going to be in Houston, Texas, instead of Washington, D.C. So, again, yf.org, if students want to go or you know someone who might want to go, Sign them up. We'll, we'll have them there. We, we have more conferences, more speakers, more events, more, as I mentioned, at YouTube, so that even students who aren't on these campuses at that time and want to hear a speaker can, can hear it as well. But even in terms of bringing speakers in, um, we've done some work. Usually we typically we work with the Alliance Defending Freedom, and we wait till people reach out and ask for our help. Part of the long game plan is to aggressively seek out cases, to aggressively seek them, not wait till they come to us. Good news is we've got the Constitution on our side. So even when, as an example, UC Berkeley tried to block us, bring in Ben Shapiro with the students there, we fought back. Uh, they had to settle because they were going to lose because, of the again, the Constitution's on our side Pretty and clear. we're not afraid right. to use it. So they reestablished. So even if UC Berkeley has to back down, we know we can do it elsewhere, but oftentimes it's a matter of, that's why seeking it out so important. It's students back away even before 
seeking help or assistance because they become frustrated to your point of feeling marginalized. We're, we're here to tell them, hey, we will fight anywhere and everywhere. We, we most importantly want to win in the court of public opinion, but if need be, we'll take it to the court of law to make sure our students can organize, they can bring speakers in, and they can actually talk about the issues they care about. Really remarkable. What a resource. If you want to check out what Governor Walker is doing, you go to yaf.org slash long game. You can get the 12-point plan. You can see what's going on. We had a story last night. Actually, it originated with Young America. Young America. It was out of the University of Nevada, Reno, where the director of housing and uh, student living made a statement suggesting that these new living learning communities are called LLCs, the ones that were specific to African-Americans and Hispanics could not have any mixed race living. It can only be people that identified as black or Hispanic. And uh, we questioned it. We did some reporting. And last night, the university came back and said, we misspoke. We didn't mean that really. It can be open to all races. Uh, Sorry about that. But there is this movement going on in our higher academic institutions of sort of self-segregation, like a new era of segregation. How concerned are you about it? And how widespread is it becoming? Oh, it's insane. And in fact, someone listening has a tip for us. You mentioned yaf.org slash longhand for the plan, but yaf.org slash tips. Every single day, I'm blown away by the tips that we get and, and we have our team look into them. And, and sadly, all too many of them are true. Uh, but but the ones that really, they all bother me, but the ones that bother me the most are exactly what you're talking about. We've seen it, whether it's in dormitories, whether it's in training uh, programs for resident assistants. We even had one campus where they had separate graduation ceremonies for people based on race, yeah. sex, and income. I think Columbia University is mean, doing that in May. It's insane. Yeah, exactly. This is, I mean, I, I literally the other day posted this uh, a, a image of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King speaking on the mall, the uh, obviously famous, iconic, I have a dream speech. And to this point, what the quote I pulled out was, you know, his dream of his children someday living in a country where they'd be judged by the content of their character and not the color of their skin. This is exactly the opposite of Dr. King's dream. The idea that that content, that who you are, not just how you look, uh, but, but who you are, what you stand for, the content of your character would be the judgment in life. You know, I saw a similar story yesterday where you know a student was asked, shown a picture of two people, two women, one who was white, one who was black, and asked what the difference was, and the student said they're two unique people. You know, the irony is for years we were taught. I'm sure you and I, and our generation, were taught um, some better than others, but that to live in a colorblind society, right. to not see race, to not see other characteristics, to judge people by who they were, not by how they looked. And now, ironically, it's just the opposite. What's really crazy to me is much of this nonsense on the left is probably pleasing some of the the very people that that they disdain, which are white supremacists, because the things they're talking about are enacting the very policies and things that people like George Wallace pushed for, you know, back more than a half a century ago. You just can't make this stuff up, which is, again, why we need to level the playing field so that when our voices can be heard, we can call this out. Again, it's not just difference between conservative and liberal, uh, radical or, or mainstream. It is really the difference between American principles, those founding principles, and, and the radical ideas people are pushing today. 
you know, I, I remember, I think maybe it was in 15 or 16, I came out with David Keane when I was the editor of the Washington Times. We did an interview as you were gearing up one of your campaigns. And and um, I think we talked about the issue that one of the things that our enemies abroad want is to create division, that division in America is the most effective tool our enemies have. And when you look at the things that we're doing now, where we're talking down America, we're trying to teach the negative side of history only and suppress the positive things that America does. We're trying to get um, black students to only live in black dorms and Hispanic students to only live in Hispanic dorms. We go through all of these things. When is some of this movement being propagated by foreign ideas, foreign entities, foreign governments? How much of this is really an effort to divide America and that uh, as opposed to just someone practicing an ideology right now? Well, two different things on that. One, we certainly saw, I remember years ago when there was a, a tragic shooting in, in Milwaukee in Sherman Park, right, uh, which created a, a, a night of some chaos where, the, ironically, it was a black police officer and the individual that was shot was black as well. Right. But there was some chaos, things calmed down. But we found out months later was two of the Facebook sites that popped up. One was to gen people up about the shooting, the other was to gen people up about uh, the violence against the police. Both had ties to Russia, uh, so it was, wow. it was interesting that it was it was clear that they were they weren't pushing one particular point; they were pushing chaos. Because when you when we're at our best, when we're our strongest, is when yes, we can differ on specific details, but where we're we're still united as Americans. It's one of the reasons why. It frustrates me all this talk for, you know, not standing for the anthem of the flag. When I was a kid, didn't matter if you were a Democrat or Republican, young or old, what race you were, anything. We all stood for the flag because it there was a shared value in, in what the flag stood for, even if we, you know, we could have our battles and everything else. So sure. One thing I think, yeah, there are things like that that are definitely being pushed uh, from external forces. But I also think the other thing I think is really about where we're at today with critical race theory, with BLM and its Marxist leaders, self-admitted Marxist leaders, and just some of the other things we're seeing in society with cancel culture. I believe that people pushing Marxism in this country failed decades ago because we're not a class-based society. Right. Because in the end, unlike other countries around the world, they couldn't pit you know, the working class against the people with all the money and the riches because in America, you can be the poorest of the poor and born that way and, and make your way up with hard work and determination and a decent education and, and a little bit of luck. You, you could be the CEO. You could be the leader of the country. It's not limited to one class versus another. So they failed. I believe they're coming back now at it a different way where they're trying to hit one group of Americans versus another to try and drive in Marxist principles by pitting not economic class, but creating a classes of based on race, based on gender, uh, based on other sex and things of that nature, to try and say, this is an agreed class. You need to go out and take from this class and put power over here with the idea being really what it's doing is an excuse for the few elite to amass the power like they've done in, in both socialist and communist regimes in the past. And that's a real worry. Those are the sorts of things, again, why this isn't just the battle of the day. We've got to have a long game plan to turn this around. Otherwise, as Reagan said, you know, freedom's just one generation away from extinction. Uh, you don't get it passed on to you in the bloodstream. You have to stand up and fight for it and defend it 
and pass it on to the next generation to do exactly the same thing. Because if you don't, I don't want to, you know, like he said, I don't want to live in a country where we look back and tell our grandchildren what it was like to once live in a country that was free. Yeah, that's a conversation none of us want to have. Well, Governor, uh, thank you for all you're doing and for bringing us up to speed. I know Young America's Foundation is so excited to have you in its leadership position now. And, and the ambitious plan you have shows that there are many ways to counteract some of the things that conservatives are complaining and upset about. Sometimes action is so much better than complaining. You're, you're a guy that likes to get things done. So thanks for bringing us up to speed. And let's get you back on soon again, because there's going to be a lot more cancel culture we need to highlight in America. Thanks so much. And keep fighting for freedom. We appreciate it. Will do, sir. Thank you very much. All right, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up for the day. Folks, if you get your wallet stolen or your cell phone or your car, we know what it is. It's old-fashioned theft. It's crime. We know it. Criminals now have a new way to steal our most valuable asset, our homes. Older Americans are most vulnerable to these types of thefts, and that's because they more often own their homes outright. An 88-year-old Florida woman recently discovered that scammers forged her signature, created a fake deed to her home, and then took her property. Those who buy a property from a deed theft scammer often become victims as well. What can you do to protect yourself? It's simple. My good friends at Home Title Lock provide the premier detection technology to protect your home and its title. The instant they detect an activity or something suspicious, they mobilize to help shut it down. We won't know a thief took us off our title until it's too late. That's why Title Lock jumps into action right away. The titles to all our homes are easily found online. A criminal or renter, even a family member, can simply forge your signature on a home sale form. Then he or she refiles as the new owner and bam, your home is not in your name and all of a sudden debts are being taken out against it. That's why Home Title Lock is my choice. Find out for free when you use my code JUSTNEWS at sign up. You'll get a free comprehensive scan of your home's title and 30 days of legendary home title lock protection free. So go to hometitlelock.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS. That's the promo code JUSTNEWS at hometitlelock.com. Go there today. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Scott Walker real quickly. Um, we have had a uh, ongoing quiz, an ongoing civics lesson going on on Just the News today. We're going to go and talk to our good friends at Heritage Action for America about a very important civics topic. And uh, we're going to do that so that you can get caught up to speed. You can take the quiz online. We'll give you the answer tomorrow before we head into the Passover Easter weekend to the holiday weekend to the spring weekend, whatever you're celebrating or enjoying. Weekend's good no matter what it is. Um, but uh, let's let's go take that quiz. I think you're going to learn a lot from it. Listen up. This is a lot of fun. This is a fun segment. I really enjoy this. And this week, we're, we're going to talk about something. I, I once thought it was a drink when I was growing up. I thought a filibuster was like a fancy drink you got at a bar. But it's actually something that happens in the Senate, the legislative filibuster. And uh, we have brought our good friends back from Heritage Action for America. Garrett uh, is here again. Garrett Bess has helped us uh, and is going to help us each week to walk through these very important issues. Now, we start with a quiz. It's up on the website already, so you have your chance to go look at it right now. Here is the quiz question for this week. What year was the first filibuster? And we're going to throw out a whole bunch of years, 1792, 1837, 1903, 1958. You're going to have to put your 
quiz cap on and see what you come up with. But we're going to turn now uh, to Garrett Best. He's the vice president at uh, Heritage Action for America. And we're going to talk a little bit about this filibuster. Garrett, welcome back to the show. Thanks, John. Happy to be back. I love the filibuster. I, I've had the pleasure as a young reporter in Congress covering one or two of them and was in awe of the experience. And um, I want to ask you, because you, you can bring us up to speed. Everyone's talking about, uh, at least the Democrats are talking about getting rid of this filibuster. How long has this been with us? Well, the Senate filibuster is older than either Mitch McConnell or Chuck Schumer. <laughs> it's even... It's even older than both their ages added together. Makes it pretty now, old. Give, yeah, I, I could tell you the answer to the question and, and give you an inkling as to as to how far back this goes in our history. But let's just suffice it to say that it, it's not a recent addition to the Senate rules. It's been around, kind of like a lot of our senators. How about that? Yeah. So describe, I think people say, you know, they hear the name, they have a general sense that people portray this as something that can block legislation. But what exactly is the filibuster? Well, the Senate was was built by our founding fathers to be a deliberative body. That tends to allow for a lot more debate than the House. So to move on from debate and hold a final vote on a bill, you must first vote to end debate. This is referred to as a motion to invoke cloture. The Senate rules currently requires 60 votes to end that debate. Now, after debate has been ended, a bill can then be passed by a simple 51-vote majority. But in practice, if 60 senators don't support a bill, they won't vote to end debate on it. So effectively, you need 60 votes to pass most, most things in the Senate. The legislative filibuster requires the Senate to get a much broader consensus, to get more buy-in from more senators. This, this gives a voice to senators who represent uh, perhaps a minority party or the minority of, of uh, voters in the country uh, so that they aren't run roughshod over by the majority. Yeah, such an important point and exactly what our founding fathers and our early legislators wanted. They wanted us to be deliberative. They wanted us to be purposeful and not jam things through on, on uh, uh, near or, or minor majorities. I think it's really interesting to, to understand their intent when you go back through history. So uh, let me ask you this, because some people always ask, is the filibuster actually in the Constitution? Well, the Constitution doesn't mention a filibuster, but a filibuster is constitutional. Article 1 of the Constitution, Section 5 to be specific, states that each House, meaning the House or the Senate, may determine the rules of its proceedings. And for over 180 years, the filibuster has in one form or another been a part of the Senate rules. That's a great point. So it, it derives itself from the powers given in the Constitution, particularly Article 1, Section 5. So let me ask you this. Does Congress rules ever change? I mean, do, we, do they occasionally change these things? Oh, sure, yeah. In the House, uh, they vote on their rules every two years with each new Congress. Um, in the House, this normally means adopting all the rules of the previous Congress with any slight changes. Now, part of that is because the House is, uh, the members of the House are only elected for two-year terms, so the House adjourns sine die. Whereas, um, you know, in the Senate, because they are on six-year cycles, uh, the way the rules change is slightly different. And we've seen changes in the middle of legislative sessions instead of the beginning. A whole package of rules isn't necessarily voted on. Rather, the Senate votes on making a proposed change to an existing rule. And to change a rule, the Senate requires a simple majority or only 51 votes. At some points in the 1900s, the filibuster even required two-thirds of the senators to end debate. 
today, that would mean 67 senators. But in 1975, that threshold was changed and lowered to 60 votes. And it's been the same since 1975, right? We've been pretty consistent for the last four decades, right? Yes, that's correct. And so these these attacks by the left, that somehow uh, this is a modern uh, process in which the Senate was not historically engaged, just aren't true. Yeah, just the opposite. It is so deeply ingrained in the Senate and in the intention of the Senate, which I always found uh, so interesting. So what's the current argument for and against a filibuster? Both sides are debating this out. You know, uh, Chuck Schumer threatening to, to make the change. What are both sides saying about this? Well, currently there are many on the left, AOC and other progressives, want to completely do away with a filibuster, which really stands in the way of their left-wing agenda. Well, right now, Vice President Harris is the tie-breaking vote in the Senate at 51. They don't have 60 votes. What they do have is a far-left agenda and a vision to fundamentally change America. And they'll do whatever it takes to enact it, with no regards to tradition, norms, or the minority of America. Wow, that's so important to understand. And it's it's why the Senate's always been called the deliberative body, so that we can consider all of those things. Um, uh, If they get rid of the filibuster, aren't they worried about what will happen when the shoe is on the other foot? Let's say the Democrats are in the minority. Aren't Democrats worried what Republicans will do if they regain that majority? Uh, some people think this might be a little short-sighted. What do you think? No, uh, you know, they're really not being short-sighted at all. They are 100% absolutely concerned about what would happen if Republicans won, which is why the exact bill that they are currently talking about changing the filibuster for is either H.R. 1 or S. 1, depending on which, which bill you're looking at, their massive plan to rewrite all our election laws. So if they blow up the filibuster, the first thing they plan to do is make sure the shoe is never on the other foot. With the filibuster gone, their first priority is to rig the rules so they stay in the majority forever. They want to do things like give felons the right to vote. They want to give the Democratic Party majority control over the Federal Elections Commission. Uh, they want to gut voter ID laws. They want to automatically add people to the voter rolls, many of whom uh, could be illegal aliens. And once people are on the voter rolls, they want to make it nearly impossible to ever remove them again. And they want people to be able to register to vote on Election Day with no proof of citizenship or even uh, an ID to to verify who they say they are. We just have to take people's word for it. Hmm. That's what this really is all about, John. It's, It's really pure political power. And after they've cemented their power and changed the election laws, they'll enact the rest of their progressive agenda, gun control, the Green New Deal, a government monopoly on health care, et cetera. And so the filibuster is the only thing that stands between America and their left-wing agenda. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. We had uh, your colleague Jessica on here, uh, Jessica Anderson on here the other day, and she said, you know, that in many ways this is the Corrupt Politicians Act, H.R. 1. It's designed to keep one set of politicians in corruptly in power forever, and uh, that is something really deep to think about and uh, be concerned about. So let me ask this last question. If Democrats have 51 seats in the Senate, What's stopping them right now from doing this? Well, really not much. Just one or two Democratic senators who are opposed to doing it. So not necessarily because they are the most principled, but because they are innately self-interested. They're rightly afraid that they could lose re-election if they blew up the filibuster and let all of this left-wing agenda happen. So, for example, Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia is a perfect example. He's in a precarious position. In 2020, Donald Trump received 68% of the vote in West Virginia. And so Senator Joe Manchin could let the progressives have everything they want, but then he might be out of a job. 
And so, sure, his, his party would probably continue in power without him, but he may not be okay with that. Uh, other examples are John Tester of Montana and Kirsten Cinema of Arizona and Maggie Hassan of New Hampshire. These are all other examples of senators who represent seats that they might not be able to hold if they were to pursue a, a left-wing agenda. And so conservatives are really depending on their fellow conservatives in these states to make a stand. We need to rally around our fellow Americans in Arizona and West Virginia and New Hampshire and Georgia and Montana and help them stand up against the progressive attempts to nuke the filibuster. This is our strategy. That makes a lot of sense. And there's a lot at stake, folks. That's why we're doing this weekly civics literacy exercise so we can learn and get uh, understand the rules, the history, the intention, and then also what our options are if we're concerned about something. Garrett, thank you for walking it uh, through. I'm now certain it isn't a drink at a great bar. It is something uh, deep into the traditions of our great democracy. And I can't thank you enough for uh, helping us walk through it today. Always a pleasure, John. Thanks. All right, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up for the day. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't. You'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. You need Tax Network USA, and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS, they know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. All right, folks, how about that? Um, A little civics lesson. Big tour of cancel culture on college campuses, thanks to Governor Scott Walker of Wisconsin and some exclusive reporting on the cancel culture front on the issues of cancel culture, discrimination, isolation, um, segregation, a lot of it going on. Some of it may even be well-intentioned. I I think a lot of these professors and deans, they, they think they're doing the right thing, but when you draw down into what it really is, it runs against the protections of the Constitution. It runs against the values of inclusion in America. This is a topic that's going to dominate public attention for a long time until the universities and these petri dishes of experiment uh, that are going on, social experimentation on college campuses, high school, lower grade schools, until what's going on there gets fully aired and the people in the communities where it is happening, make a decision. This is good and we want more of it or no too. This is bad. We want less of it. And we had an episode um, in Virginia, uh, right near my home. Uh, I'm in Prince William County, but right near it, Loudoun County, I think it was. A student kept being pressed. There was a uh, white woman, a black woman, I believe it was. And I said, do you see any difference between? They're like, no, I see two unique people. And it kept getting pressed, but in fact, what the teacher was really looking for was to say, well, that person's white and that person's black. They're different races. The student didn't want to bite. And the teacher 
according to these news reports, put a lot of pressure to try to draw out racial issues with that student. I'm not sure in that community, that's the sort of academic exercise some parents may want for their children. We'll see. But we're highlighting these things. We're reporting on them, and then we're going to let you make up your mind. Cancel culture, isolation, new wave of discrimination, a new uh, wave of segregation, self-imposed segregation in some of these cases in communities. It's going across America. We're going to highlight it, and then you'll make up your mind. You, your colleagues, will take the news and facts we give you and decide whether you like or dislike what's going on in America. We arm you so you can take your own action. We're not going to make up your mind for you. That's what we do at Just the News. That's what, why we're here at John Solomon Reports. And we thank you from the bottom of our heart. Thank you, thank you, thank you for reading us, supporting us, supporting our advertisers, all the great people that we have on this show and the ad breaks in the segments and the rip and reads, all the things. They are amazing, folks. Support them. You know them. KansasCitySteaks.com, Ancestry.com, Birch Gold, so many more. The Bambi um, HR solution for small businesses, big businesses, middle businesses, all great products, great services, great people, and they make this show, they make JustTheNews.com possible. So when you want to support us, you support them. That's one of the best ways to show your love for what we're doing. And we'll just stay true to news, not noise, information, not indoctrination. We're going to be just the news, no opinion. That's why I hope you join us every day and we're thankful for it. All right, until tomorrow, God bless you. God bless this great country of America, as he always has. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition, a, a Good Friday edition of Just the News. A lot of news to break tomorrow, some new stories, some new exclusives, some new policy issues right here at John Solomon Reports. Until then, God bless and good night. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out. Higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it, with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friend, who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 98 98 right now.